to a special episode of Black in the Maritimes. I am Hillary without my usual two co-hosts today. I'm actually joined by uh, Savannah Thomas, Calcadan Burke, and Sally Moeed Davis. Um, we're here to talk about a issue involving racism at Kodiak Regional School. Um, and not only that, but our very different but very similar experiences having all grown up in New Brunswick, um, being women of various degrees of color, um, and how the system sort of wronged all of us, did not help us, and is still today doing this to other Black students in the province. And we feel despite, you know, our various age differences, the situation clearly isn't getting better. Um, and so we want to share our stories to sort of elucidate the fact that there a, a big upheaval and change needs to happen. Um, so just to shed some light on what's going on in Petacodiac, um, and I will ask Sally for some more information, but um, what I came to learn was that a, a teacher at Petacodiac Regional School essentially said to some white students that they could say the N-word um, as long as they were not saying it in front of uh, black kids and that they didn't have to like black kids, but they had to be nice to them, which to me is completely insane to hear in 2021 when I was, you know, in school in the third grade being told that being called a chocolate bar was completely acceptable. And we're for some, somehow this is worse that you don't even have to, you don't have to like them. You don't have to like them, but you have to be nice to them. Um, sounds disgusting. Um, and then I believe that Sally, you learned more about the situation. So I'll ask you if you want to shed some more light on what's going on over in Petacodiac. Um, to justify as well, uh, we had the trophy. I have a black friend situation where we said at the end of that statement that, you know, we're dating someone who's black. <clears throat> right, and therefore yes. we have a point of reference. Right. Um, I've been working with the school hand in hand. Um, and how this started was it was brought to my attention. I have a foundation called the Human Voice Foundation. It was brought to my attention that this was happening at Petty Kodiak School. Now, there have always been rumors fluttering about how there have been racist issues in Petty Kodiak. Uh, but this was actually a tangible physical example. It was not a Black student who brought this forward, but a Caucasian family who brought it forward uh, who did not like what was said in their child's class. And it was said in two grade nine classrooms. When I first contacted the school, there was a lot of question about the context of what was said. Um, and my response to that was there is no context in which this is appropriate. And then there was concern about intimidating the teacher um, and making it an uncomfortable situation for her to talk about racism. And I said, well, maybe with responses like that, she should not be the one talking about racism, uh, seeing as it's not firsthand experience. Clearly, there is a lack of understanding, lack of relatability to the situation, a lack of personal involvement in the situation, even though we have the textbook sticker, Black friend, Black family, Black whatever that we want to put in there. Um, and then I started to receive calls about students that were suffering, more specifically concerns about the well-being of a middle school student. Um, and with that, we identified who the middle school student was. Within 24 hours, the family actually reached out to me saying that they were concerned about the well-being of their child. They actually were not aware of the extent of what was happening to their child. So this is more importantly, a wake up call for families of children of color to check in with your kids and make sure that you create a safe space and an open space of communication to know what is happening to your child. Um, because even the parents were not aware of the extent of 
harassment and physical assault that their child was enduring in middle school. Um, in my experience, middle school is actually the worst years of um, physical and emotional damage to children who are of color, children in general, but we've all read Lord of the Flies. Um, long story short, um, I did intervene. I run and had a very productive um, session with the principal of the high school and the middle school. And um, I do want to say that although they could not relate to the experience firsthand, when it was brought to light the extent of what was happening to this young child, um, especially where I don't know if our listeners are aware of this, but statistically, I mean, our, our Black listeners are more than likely aware of this, but our non-Black listeners are probably not aware that um, once a child who is male, who is Black, hits seven or eight years old, they are no longer viewed as a child and then start to be seen as a troublemaking young adult. Um, and you're very much a child until 15 and 16, and then you're a young teenager, I guess. And then you're a young adult, maybe in your late teens, early 20s. Um, and this was actually what was happening with this child who was in middle school and was very much a child, was he was being seen as a troublemaker and by the by the administration without knowing what kind of damage was happening in the background. So long story short, this child had been assaulted, had his was jumped, had his shoes thrown into a river or a brook. Um, got punched in the face and then got suspended for getting punched in the face because he quote unquote instigated by looking in the wrong direction. Like it was just a series of events for this poor child. Um, and so I was really grateful that the first file came on my desk regarding the comments that the teacher made, because I honestly believe that this was an opportunity for intervention for the parents, but also the administration when the administration realized, oh my gosh, I have children. What if they went through this? And I had no idea. Um, it was really a breaking moment, I think, um, or breakthrough moment, I think, with them because they really genuinely realized this is essentially a war zone within a school zone. And I can be very clear that that school is taking action. I'm really proud of the actions that they are taking. I am involved with the, with the orientation, with the um, intervention, really, but also with the education of the rest of the administration and, and students. Well, I mean, not to make it like compliment Sally hour, but like, thank God for you. And I like the big takeaway from that for me is that my experience in racism was definitely not that severe, but there was also no one like you in my corner who could have educated um, the administration on what being black is like and how much of a struggle it is and pulled on those like empathy heartstrings because it's just my white mom talking to my white godmother who works there being like, can the kids stop calling Hillary a chocolate bar and hitting her in the head with a badminton racket because she has an Afro? Like she's coming home crying and this isn't fun, but that's not getting the kids to understand or stop or the teachers to actually um, intervene. Um, so I want to throw it now to Savannah. Since you've been on the show recently, I would just like you to recap briefly um, your experience at Fredericton High School, which they had their own drama. <laughs> they had their own little mess and we've already discussed that. And I will say, I was surprised about Fredericton when I had first heard about it because I remember living in Moncton and like Fredericton was Fredericton. We never heard about them. Patacodiac and Riverview, like 
my opinion when I was a child was they were full of trash, racist trash that like, don't go there. I would, I was led to believe, do not go to those places. You will be racially profiled and you're still a light skinned little girl. Um, and of course we didn't have a car, so I never did go there. Fredericton, I was like, that's where the museum is. It's safe. And it's not St. John cause it doesn't smell. And then you came on and you were like, I beg to differ. So if you'd like to just remind our audience about what, what your experience, um, was like at school there? Um, yeah. So I think, um, I mean, it was definitely a struggle. It wasn't a fun time. I don't really look back on it and ever smile or think of the good times because there weren't any. Um, but just, you know, it was right from when I started in the ninth grade, it was just very small things. Um, you know, whether it was my classmates asking me, if I could speak African, which isn't even a language and like what part of Africa I was from and things like that. And just very, um, you know, micro aggressive and ignorant comments. And then eventually it progressed. Um, you know, I had to read to kill a mockingbird in the 10th grade and it was taught by a white teacher. And for anyone who's read it, um, you would know that the N word is very, prominently used within the book. Um, and this teacher, as they were passing out the books, just announced to the class that this word is used throughout the book and they were going to use it because it's just a word. And at the end of the day, it means nothing. And, you know, I just remember sitting in the class and being the only um, black student in there, not knowing what to say, because I felt as though if I said something, I would be seen as confrontational and be seen as angry. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still a student. And this person is pretty much marking all of my stuff and determining if I pass or fail. So it was very much, um, unfortunate that I had to tread lightly. And then of course, as I got, um, older in the 11th and 12th grade, the comments and issues that I dealt with weren't necessarily, um, out of ignorance. They were more intentional. And a lot of the time, um, teachers would just simply say that because they didn't directly hear it or witness it, there wasn't anything that they could do. And it was my word against the, the other students. And that definitely, um, it had a huge impact on me. So I'd also like to ask you to tell a story only just because we had the exact same experience of a teacher just like completely mistaking you for another black girl because that happened to me. Um, so if you want to tell your side of it and then I'll tell my experience like from a decade prior. Yeah. So like when I, I was probably in elementary school. Um, and I mean, again, this went throughout elementary, middle and high school. And, um, there was actually, there was me and one other black girl in the class. Um, and you know, we looked nothing alike. Um, I have curly hair. She has an Afro. Her dad is white. My dad is black. Her mom is black. My mom is white. So there's a lot of things that are very different about us. Um, but teachers would often mistake us, um, for each other. And instead of apologizing or, you know, anything like that, it was turned into 
a joke or made to seem like it was this cute little like, oh, we're mixing you guys up, hee hee. And, you know, it's it's not a joke. And eventually it just became easier to just go along with it and be like, oh yeah, like present because then I don't want to have to get into it and be like, no, that's actually not me. And, you know, the last time I was here, I had briefly spoken about this, but what I didn't mention is that there were two other girls in my class who were of color and one was from, um, I believe Iran and one was from Lebanon and they actually would mistake all four of us as being the same person. And we look nothing alike. Yes. And it was, it was this huge running joke where it was like, oh, wait, which one are you again? Uh, And, you know, I could understand if we were siblings or something like that, but, you know, we all came from different homes. Some of the teachers had taught these girls, older siblings. I don't have siblings, you know, just things are very different and they knew all of our parents and they still continued to mix us up until the day that we graduated. So that's a little bit of my experience because, and I shared this on your episode. So it was, it was with a girl who was a year younger. So we didn't have the same teacher. She was also Anglophone and I was an immersion. So still not the same teachers had a brother who attended the school. My brothers were in Ontario with my father living a completely different life. We're not around. And my godmother taught at that school. So everyone literally knew a member of my family was in that building and still confused us all the time up until it came to a head and they confused us to my mother um, and essentially said to my mom, we're so sorry that Maggie has lice. And my mom was like, I'm sorry too. And then there was this very awkward stare down. And I cannot imagine staring down my mother. She terrifies me, even though she's only 5'5 five, five and super white, scariest lady on the block. And then like this person realized that they had to, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, they just all look the same. And my mother to this day doesn't know if she means all black people or all like little children, but they, in, no matter which way you cut it, they fucking don't. So my mother to this day has been angry at that woman who consequently, I mean, karma happened and this woman got shingles later in life. And I remember my mom sipping her tea and being like, what a shame. (laughs) But that's my mom being a bitch. Um, But, and rightfully so. Um, Now, Sally, I saw that you were making a face. What's your mix-up experience and how are we all getting mixed up? (laughs) My camera seems to have completely frozen. So I'm really not sure what's going on. It did. You guys hear me? Sassy face. We can't. Yeah, on a sassy face. So we're all good. So I'm frozen on a sassy face. That's okay. No, uh, I had a similar experience. I'm so I'm Egyptian, which is North African, which I do have to explain because we're in New Brunswick and they don't teach that. Um, And then you had a few Lebanese kids, which is Middle East, but Asia. Then you had some Iranian kids who were, I mean, Persian, but Asia. Um, Myself and some of the Lebanese children shared a last name because it's kind of as common as like LeBlanc or Richard in the Middle East. And so all related, we're all from the same country. Um, And it, we weren't. And then oftentimes like, they're like, they would assume that my father is their father's relative. We're not, but they've also mixed this up. Like I would come and I would be given the material for one of the girls with their name on it. And I'd be like, 
this is not me. This is, this is the wrong person. And okay. I get it. Like if you're looking at an entire piece, you'd say, maybe we look similar, but we still looked very different. Like siblings will look similar, but they'll still look very different. And I just, I, I don't know. It was just ridiculous. And this was back. I mean, I graduated 2002, so it's still trending, I guess. Unfortunately, it is still trending. Um, so Calca Dan, I'll ask you next because I've, I've only heard like snippets of your story. I haven't fully, fully met you. So I'm very excited that you're here as well. Um, but what was school like for you? And I assume it wasn't great because we're all here together. Um, but yeah, what did you end up experiencing and remind me just like where in New Brunswick? Sure. So right now I'm actually, um, in Fredericton, New Brunswick, so I'm going to school at UNB. Um, but I went to school in Oromocto. Um, and there was a lot of racial tension in, in that high school. Um, and just in the community as a whole, I think I experienced my first, like, just out, outright in your face um, act of racism uh, when I, when a white student had called me an, the N-word um, in middle school. Um, and then it just kind of progressively got worse as I went into high school. Um, I, it was just really a lack of education on the, the administration, the, the teacher's part, the student's part. Um, you know, I was, I was there, there were, it wasn't a very racially diverse school. Um, you know, I was, me and my brother were the only full black students at our school. So we, you know, we definitely got a lot of questions, uncomfortable questions um, by teachers, by students. Um, and I just remember like specifically in in grade 11, um, I, I couldn't like go and have a conversation with with someone without my race being brought up in the conversation. And so that was a huge problem for me because um, it, it made me feel small and, and it also made me realize like, oh, like I'm different from these people, you know? And so like, I, will, I can't be friends with these people or like, I will never be accepted by these people because they're always going to, you know, point out the differences. Um, and that was a really huge struggle for me, um, especially being, um, I, I grew up in an interracial family. So I was um, internationally adopted from Ethiopia. And so that also came with a lot of questions like you have two white parents and you're black. How does that work? Um, <laughs> And a lot of people weren't really educated on adoption either. Like, oh, how much did your parents pay for you? We got asked that question way too many times. Um, and just by like random people in the grocery store, like it's totally unacceptable. Um, but yeah, so I just, I was, you know, my siblings, I, I have a sister adopted from China and my brother, Caleb, like we were, um, just really unhappy with what was happening and as well as my other racialized friends at school um, were experiencing the same treatment. So 
it, it, we discussed it and, and we kind of planned, planned a revolution. <laughs> yeah. So we, we did the walkout and that was, I feel like that was a big thing. And, um, it's, it's opened a lot of conversation for other schools. Um, and even like, I hear my older siblings who are in their university classes and they talk about, this is a topic of discussion in, in their university courses. So, um, and my brother who's still in school, uh, still in high school, they are still talking about it in, in their classes. So I think that's just really awesome that um, it's still like it's it started this very much needed conversation about um, the treatment of racialized students in our public schools and and what needs to be done for for us to be progressive in this. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely say that every every person here has definitely tried to move the bar in New Brunswick. Savannah wrote so many amazing articles around what was going on in Fredericton, Calcutta. I had heard about the walkout and I thought that was amazing. Sally and I have been, <laughs> we're just tired now, but we're trying every single day <laughs> to make the place better alongside both of you. Um, I, I mean, I'm definitely not surprised by what you said about people at the grocery store and all of those horrible conversations, because I couldn't stand at work at Chopper's Drug Mart without, I remember one man coming up to me and being like, where are you from? No, where are you really from? And then being like, I shipped my wife here. And I was like, do you literally mean in a boat? Like, what do you mean you shipped your wife to New Brunswick? And it was the most uncomfortable conversation, um, but it's Shoppers Drug Mart. Apparently all conversations could be had there. Like it was a bar, essentially. I was just, you know, feel everyone's therapist at the beauty counter. Um, I'll tell my school story very briefly because I know that Sally's is a doozy. Um, and I want Sally to have the, the whole floor for Sally's experience. But mine, um, I've always felt like mine was different just because my godmother also taught there. So I always thought that an element of my bullying and racialization also came from a place of your goody two shoes because you've got family in the building. And I felt like it maybe elevated that. But like I said, called a chocolate bar in the third grade, was hit in the head with badminton rackets on my Afro because they bounced, um, was like asked about my hair, was told that because I had an Afro, I looked like a boy. Supply teachers often would ask me if my name was like Jordan or like the almost racially black names, but I was never a Hillary. Everyone was taken aback when I was Hillary. Um, and I remember the more that girls started to develop everyone sort of being like, well, you have an Afro and no boobs. So why would they think that you're a girl and like getting really upset about that? Um, and that's what started me with like chemically straightening my hair for a decade, just to try to look more feminine and super trying to assimilate and walk away from, um, any of my blackness at all. In high school is when we got into like oh, I'll be nice to you, Hillary, if you can give me the N-word pass. I'll wrap the N-word at you in the hallways, um, pretending that we were all like, if I stood in the middle of two people, we were a reverse Oreo sandwich. Where my locker was, was a reverse Oreo sandwich. The girl saying I had nigger lips, everyone asking about my skin color. Like it went on and on. It was pretty bad in high school. Like, and then as I put on the podcast, all of my like yearbook entries say like, oh, you're the coolest black girl in class, my nigga motherfucker, what's good? And I'm like, why are you speaking in this way to me? Like <laughs> I live in, I live in a low rental across the street. We don't have to talk like this is like what Chicago and there's a shootout and I'm Tupac. Like I'm just Hillary. Can everybody 
calm down. Um, I remember a lot of questions because of my mother being white and older. So asking if I had been birthed in the backseat of a car, um, if I was adopted, if my mom was my grandmother, where the black people in my life were, of course, my dad wasn't around. I remember a lot of that happening. And I remember a lot of teachers doing jack shit. No one did anything except for the one teacher who I interviewed for the CBC special, uh, Christine Babineau Hall. I will say that it's not like she did a lot from the racism side of it. She saw my self-esteem just being destroyed left, right, and center from that being bullied. uh, No offense, mom, but being (laughs) controlling and the abuses that I was like also suffering at home. And she was just like, I'm going to get you out of school for a day. You're going to go to a girl empowerment class all day long and don't worry about your homework. And that was like under the table. And so I got a lot of those experiences, which did lead to kids also saying, oh, you're having special treatment. And that was a different kind of issue. But she, she, She really tried to sort of under the radar, make sure that I was mentally sound without ever really going and disciplining these kids and being like, hey, asking Hillary if you can say the N-word but not calling her the N-word, still racist, Um, which is part of the reason why I wanted to have the conversation with her on CBC and say like, hey, when you've got Black kids who are also so upset with their identity that they're like, yeah, I guess you can say the N-word around me so that we're all friends as problematic as anything else. Um, So that's definitely like what my experience was. And we're talking about like graduated in 2012, not that long ago. And then I had a weird experience in university that was just like colorism, was just like black men being like, oh, you're different. You speak French, but you've got some white in you. Can I holla? Can I get your number? And I'm like, I'm just trying to go to calculus to be chemistry teacher. (laughs) Can I, can I be left alone? This isn't the club. But then it would also happen at the club, but that wasn't racism. It was just weird. It was new and different. I'd never been appreciated for my color in such a way because all of the kids at school were like, you're different. We don't like you. We don't like your hair. We don't like this. Um, Sally, why don't you tell us your story? It's a long one. Um, okay. So I graduated to put it in perspective almost 20 years ago from high school. Um, my experience was a little bit different in that I went into the academics in the Francophone school system in Moncton, New Brunswick from grade two to grade eight. And then grade 12, uh, 11 and 12 is where I was in Moncton. I was overseas in other years. Um, so first from grade two to grade four, um, at some point in there, there were multiple complaints put in because I was also a religious minority, not attending catechism. So there were complaints about my appearance. There were also complaints about, um, the religious minority status. And because I wasn't sitting through catechism, they wanted me expelled from the school. My parents pulled me out put me in another school for grade five, grade six. That was the only peaceful year, grade five. And then in elementary, I was one of two people of color. The other person was half Vietnamese, half white. Um, and she really self-identified as, as I would say more white than anything else. And then in grade six was when things got really bad. I was 11 at that point. Um, I went to Ecole Vanier, which has been, I think, bulldozered, which by, um, there was a problem at the time. I'm sure older generations will remember of the skinheads and, uh, they were starting at that time. And I remember multiple times, uh, hiding in the bathroom 
because I feared for my own life. And kids would sit behind me in the classroom and whisper really horrible things. So some of it would be threatening, but some of it would also be um, physically degrading, which in elementary school wasn't much better because I did have an Afro and I looked different. And so I was ugly in elementary school. In grade five, I was kind of ignorable or negligible. In, in grade six, I was back to being, you know, hideous, like, oh my gosh, look at your pubic hair head. It's disgusting. Um, ew, how could you ever think that you're even going to be looked at or appreciated looking the way that you do? Um, how do your parents even keep you or even look at you? Um, but also threatening things. And so I spent a lot of time in the bathrooms, which I wasn't allowed to do. And I also was really fortunate to have um, Gisela Blanc, she's since passed away uh, as my teacher. And she used to actually hide me in the classroom when she could during lunch breaks because she was also concerned for my well-being. And I'd had a few assaults here and there. And then I can't remember when it was in the year, but I did end up getting assaulted. Um, I was playing tetherball, minding my own damn business. And I got literally engulfed. Um, surrounded by a bunch of kids that first pretended they were bullying everybody, but then engulfed around me and I was violently assaulted. Uh, it did lead to my being hospitalized, learned it led to permanent uh, lower spinal damage uh, where the nerves are. And, um, and this is, this is like probably the biggest assault. Now this doesn't include the fact that I've had my hair set on fire numerous times. Um, you know, I've, I've had matches thrown at me. Uh, I've never been called the N word. I think it was maybe less common in that age group. And also I'm not fully black. Although I joked around and called myself the only non-black black person in the school, uh, because they didn't know what an Egyptian was or what I guess I was. Um, and then in uh, high school, the discrimination was more, I would say religious Middle Eastern based because then you started to see a little bit more Middle Eastern people and it was during the 9-11 era. So there were rumors that I was involved in the in the attacks, that I jumped out of the airplane in time to get to class. Um, but it really, it, it lived with me because you don't realize how much it affects you on a normal day-to-day -day basis. And, and we say that these things have changed, yet it's come on my desk recently that a child has had their hair set on fire. So clearly the, the trend hasn't changed. Or um, my stepdaughter has been called cooch hair, which is no different than pubic hairhead. Um, and I did have one teacher in grade eight, I believe it was. And I think it was kind of the point. So I was moved from grade six into another school and it was my parents' responsibility to move me from school to school to school to make sure I didn't get killed. Um, but the onus was entirely on my parents and my parents were never told that it was an accident where I was assaulted. They were told that I fell off the bleachers while playing with friends. Uh, they weren't even told the truth about what happened. Um, and then in grade eight, I still had the kids that kind of sat behind me. And this was at a different school, at a better school. And I had kids sitting behind me that constantly would whisper things into my ears. There was one particular girl that was vicious and I kind of reached a breaking point. And the teachers to this day aren't really allowed to do much, but they weren't allowed to do much then either. And I remember getting up in the middle of the classroom and I almost blacked out. And I apparently told her off for something like 30 minutes straight and then walked out of the class straight to the bathroom and washed my face and came back 
the bell was ringing for recess. And when I went back in to get my stuff, I was like, I'm getting suspended. Like I'm in trouble. It's over. But I got in and the teacher actually high-fived me. And unfortunately, um, Monsieur Barjabar is unfortunately as well um, passed since then. Um, he high-fived me and he told me good job. And it was kind of a moment in my life where I just realized that, you know what? I, I don't actually have to take this shit anymore um, because my parents were told that they had to take it. I was told that I have to take it. The teacher who hid me in the classroom got in trouble for hiding me in the classroom during recess. And it was just kind of like being condemned to be the target of hate. And all of a sudden it was just this empowering moment that, oh, maybe there are people that will actually have my back. The racism changed significantly from middle school to high school. Uh, the skinheads were a lot more isolated at that point. They didn't really come around me. Um, I believe the problem had decreased due to police intervention. Um, but it 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 still stems that or stands that middle school, I think, is where the most violence occurs, even like in the cases that I have been told doing what I do. They are the most violent encounters and they affect the students long term. Um, even in the case, for example, in Petty Kodiak, where this child was walking, minding his business and got punched in the face, you know, just simple and called the N-word. It, it's simply a very violent time. So I wouldn't wish what happened to me on anyone. Um, also, I should clarify that my parents were blackmailed when they wanted to call the police. Um, my parents were immigrants. They were not um, Canadian born, I guess. And when my parents wanted to call the police regarding this and another incident, which was outside of the school, um, they were literally, my father's position was threatened. His job was threatened. So it, these things do happen. So parents check in with your kids because I never complained. I just kind of kept it to myself and hid in the bathroom. And it's basically what's happening in Petty Kodiak right now. So I just want to ask, because I, I think I touched on it briefly and Sally did as well, but Savannah, would you say like, other than the, the teachers mixing you up for one to three other kids who do not resemble you at all, did any teachers do anything to try to help this situation or did any teachers also contribute even worse bullshit racially to, you know, your education and formative years? I think, um, I know, I think I was in the ninth grade and, you know, we have to take like all of the core courses or whatever. So I had to take science and I'm terrible at science. So anytime we had a substitute teacher, I was always very like worried because I didn't want to get called on or anything like that. Well, on this particular day, I was extremely excited to see that the substitute teacher was black and I was like, finally, like, this is the first black person that's an adult that I've seen in this school. And I was so excited. And then she started doing roll call and she's going through the names and she finally gets my name. And she says like, Spana. And I'm like, oh, here. And she looks up from the paper and says, what are you? <laughs> And I said, pardon? And I'm 14. So I really am not, you know, like at this age now, I would understand what's going on. But when I was 14, I had no idea what she was talking about. I was like, pardon? And she said, well, what are you? Because you aren't fully black and you're not fully white either. So what parent is what? 
And I was so stunned. And of course I have 24 other faces waiting for my reply. And at this point, like I'm getting very upset because I don't like being the center of attention, especially in school. So I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, um, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, and she's like, no, come on, just tell me which parent is black. And I said, oh, my dad. And she's like, okay, it shouldn't have taken you that long to answer. That's all I wanted to know. And then went on to the next name. So that for me was a huge struggle because it's like, so if I have a black person saying that they don't know what I am, then what am I? And I mean, you know, especially within the school system, my mom was my biggest advocate and she is a teacher herself. And, you know, she didn't teach at the same schools that I went to, but just for her to think that, you know, I'm a student and she could have students at her school who are going through the exact same thing and nobody knows. So of course she stepped in and got that teacher kicked off of the, the roster for supply teachers. And, you know, that, so that was a huge win for us. And then less than a month later, she was back to supply teaching. So, you know, that was rather upsetting. Um, but then I think I had different teachers on and off who just kind of were always looking out for my well-being, um, you know, in middle school and high school and stuff like that. High school is de- or middle school is definitely a very difficult time because you're trying to navigate like social aspects and things like that. So I always had teachers, um, one in particular who would just say like, Hey, like, why don't you come and eat lunch with me today? Or like, you know, I've kind of been noticing that this has been going on. And I, I don't think that these people have the best intentions. Like, and it was just always an open dialogue. And then when I got to high school, I was lucky enough to have, um, three, um, teachers and they were all female. Ironically, they were all math teachers, even though I hate math, but anyways, (laughs) um, and they, they consistently were looking out, for my well-being. And I know when I was in the 12th grade, I was dealing with this very racist boy in a lot of my classes. And I would go to her almost every day and be like, he's saying this, he's saying that. And she would drop everything she was doing, whether it was a prep, whether it was a lunch break, whatever she was doing. And she would go and take me to the office and explain the situation and sit in the room while I could talk to vice principal or whoever. And she would just keep keep tabs on me. They all kind of kept tabs on me. So that's good. You saying that reminded me of one math teacher who saved my ass only once, but it was one of those weird situations where this girl and like, not to defend racism, but she was also intensely bullied. And so I can also understand her wanting to have that outlet, but she pushed me to a wall and called me a cotton picker in the 11th grade. And I came in like, heated in math class like yelling about it and I remember this teacher telling me to calm down Mrs. Keith and but not realizing she was writing up a pink slip getting her suspended at the exact same time so it's a weird thing of like you're telling the black person to calm down when they're right they have every right to be upset but you're doing the right thing and getting the, the, the racist kid in trouble you're so close you're just so so close to exactly what you need to be doing to help us um Calcadan, what was your experience in terms of teachers helping you, hurting you, making the situation worse or or better at all? Um, 
Well, in, in the sense, like hurting me, I guess, um, I think like my, uh, it, it, it started off as like, just very subtle, um, like teachers touching my hair without asking, just like, wow, like this is so neat and touching it and asking me so many questions or, oh, it feels so like weird. (laughs) That was, um, that was something that, and, and I'm a people pleaser. I, I especially was one in high school, so I never wanted to do anything to upset someone. Um, but you know, my mom would always tell me, Calvin, it's your hair and your body. You know, no one comes up to me and just randomly touches my hair, you know, so they can't do that to you. Don't, don't allow that. Um, another huge thing was, um, the pronunciation of my name. I, it would be substitute teachers or or just like regular everyday teachers would just have difficulty pronouncing my name for maybe like that first month of, of school starting. And, um, they'd be like, Oh, well, I, how I'll just call you a nickname. Um, how about Cal? How about, you know, and it, it, it really bothered me because it's like, you can pronounce all these other students' names. Why can't you try to pronounce mine? And I just felt there was a, like a subtle undertone of racism with that. Um, and again, as the years went on, I got progressively worse. I, I remember this, this class in grade 10 in particular, um, it was science class and, and the conversation that we were having had nothing to do with science. And this, white student said um, that he had felt that if you are not born in Canada, you you shouldn't be allowed to be here. And I was really offended because I wasn't born in Canada. And I've, but I'm, I've been here all my life. And I feel like this is my home. And that was like really offensive. And I was really angry. And I wasn't the type to like, <laughs> you know, get super angry and like, but I did this one day and I just went off on him and the teacher thought that that was very inappropriate. And she, and I said, well, maybe you should send him to the office because what he said was very inappropriate. And she didn't like that. I told her that. And she felt that, you know, it was her classroom and she could handle it. And that what he said, you know, didn't, didn't mean that he should go to the office and face consequences for this. So I was like, okay, I'll go to the office. So I walked out of her class and I went to the office and I had a really good relationship with, I still do with my uh, vice principal. And I was like, I, I do not like that this student said this. And she thought that it was very inappropriate. And, you know, it went from there. Um, but. I definitely, uh, I definitely have had like great experiences with my teachers as well. Um, too often the, the bad outweighs the good. Um, but kind of leading up to the, to the, to the walkout is what kind of sparked the walkout was, was a conversation that was had with administration, um, about racism in school. And there was this video circulating of this student who, had a sense of presence in the school and was quite popular and he was on the hockey team and, you know, and he didn't receive consequences in school consequences for 
these slurs that he said in in this video that was circulating and and I was really upset about that and me and other a group of students went in and had this conversation with administration and they talked about how it wasn't in their jurisdiction and how every everyone deserves a second chance and um you know, we felt there was a sense of unsafety. Like some of us had felt unsafe be, of, of being Black or Indigenous or Asian being in school because we were receiving like everyday uh, discrimination against our skin color. And and the response was, well, I can't, per- I can't guarantee your safety here. Um, and and we we just were calling on them and ask you know we wanted them to be allies come alongside of us and help us because we didn't feel that as students it should be our responsibility to be in the front lines like fighting against this racism like our priority was school you know and and here we are being social justice advocates you know and and so well, this 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 other administrator was like, well, what are you doing to combat racism in the school? Like, why why should it be on us? What are you doing? And 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 that was really difficult. And that made me really mad. So I was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do a walkout. That's what I'm gonna do to combat racism. The the funny thing is, is we were doing so much before then. You know, we had started up this Black History Month group, educating students, teachers, community members about. Um, the contributions, but also the struggles of Black people. Um, but I also have to say that I appreciate the teachers, a, a select few teachers that were 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 amazing. Um, I think about the two teachers in particular who helped really like, they were just like a listening ear when you needed one. And they were on the front lines with us. They helped us with with the Black History Month community, uh, the committee, um, and starting that up and and getting the word out. And they were the big leaders in that group as well. Um, and they were just super, super supportive, super understanding. They were on our side, even though their colleagues, you know, were not so great. They were able to have these these honest conversations with their colleagues and say, "Okay, this is how we need to support these students," which was really awesome. Um, and I also think of a, another teacher who taught me um, sociology. She was just super understanding, and like she created a safe space in her classroom that we could talk openly about it. Um, something that I struggled with in high school was like taking up space. If you are it, we talk so often about white history and what happened to white people and and um and 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 when we talk about this it's always painting white people in in a in a heroic light like they saved <laughs> you know they're the white savers and um that was really difficult because i didn't i didn't feel myself being represented in the curriculum i didn't feel myself being represented um, in the school because I didn't see teachers that looked like me. Um, and when I did, when there was that odd black substitute teacher, people would ask me, is that your mom? Or is that your dad? And, you know, so I, I didn't get that representation and that made me feel really like insignificant and alone. Um, 
And it was just really awesome to have this one teacher that like, no matter what, I could just confide in her. And, she, you know, and, and what, what was also difficult is what I wish and I wish that we see in the future is that we see more Black teachers in our schools. We see more Black representatives, whether it's counselors or principals or just, just people there to, from communities to help. Um, because it's, it's, uh, I, I, I'm so thankful to have had those, those teachers, um, um, to, to kind of lean on during the hardest times, but they, they could only understand it to a certain extent, you know, it wasn't their lived experience. Um, so it was awesome as we got someone from the community who actually, uh, his son, had coached me basketball in high school. And so he was kind of like a, like a family friend. So I always kind of thought of him as a, like a father figure. Um, and it was super cool because he was a black man and, you know, he had similar experiences growing up in school. Um, and he was just able to be, to be a mediator to sit in in these conversations with other racialized students and we could just say hey like this is what we're struggling with and he no I hear you and but this you know and he was just a great support system so I'm really thankful for him as well I just want to say to the teacher who asked you about like what you were doing to combat racism like literally breathing breathing in your building like I I am a like consistently battling like racism, sexism, every other ism every day that I walk on this planet. Do not come at me with that. <laughs> Don't come at me. I'm tired. We're all so tired. Exactly. Um, but like you said, sometimes the bad outweighs the good. And I think it's amazing that, you know, we've all had people in our corner who do see the problems that are happening and are trying to do the most with what they can while being unionized and trying to hold on to their jobs um, to support us and keep us like healthy, happy, and safe in these buildings. Which brings me to one of the last points that I just want to touch on briefly. Um, recently, like in the past week, a Montreal area teacher, of course, a black teacher, um, Chad Ash, who's 34, um, was suspended for showing 10 seconds of a rap video that he made on the side to his students. They were apparently going around the, the class and, you know, they were doing an icebreaker. I asked my students to give me 10 things I should know about them. And that gives me a bunch of cues on how they like, how good they can speak, how nervous they are around the teacher. And then they spun it around and said, like, we want to see what you do in your spare time. And so he showed about 30 to 40 seconds of this rap video and has been suspended. Um, now we do know that Quebec is a bit of a different monster when it comes to racism than New Brunswick. Racism abound in both places, but I will say sometimes I think I would be a little bit more afraid of being in Quebec sometimes based on what I've heard, especially with a, a Muslim mom who wears a hijab. I'm like, we should, do we need to go to, do we need to go to Quebec? At the same time, hearing stories like this and knowing that next to nothing is getting done for the teachers who cause, you know, the microaggressions throughout our lives, who are still teaching and contributing to this negative narrative that's happening now. Maybe the teacher, I don't know what's going on with the teacher in Pedicodiac. I saw that an investigation was happening. Um, but 
for the fact that this teacher can play 30 seconds of what he does in his spare time and get suspended to me shows that there's racism abound in the district. Um, And I did speak a little bit about this with the teacher who I had on CBC who taught me, who did point out that there are young teachers who are trying to move the bar, who are trying to make it better, but there are archaic teachers with that D contract who are still there, who are letting all racial issues be taught by these newer teachers and they don't want to deal with it and they're not going to help. Um, And so that leads me to sort of my wrap up question. And um, Sally, I'll start with you. What do you think, other than other than you literally going to all these schools and being like, this is what you've got to do, <laughs> what needs to happen and change so that any racialized student or and even any student that's different, because we know that similar things are happening to kids who identify as queer or maybe are trans. And I this is a racialized podcast, but I recognize that a lot of kids have it hard. What needs to change in terms of administration and teachers so that kids can go to school and feel safe learning? Oh, that's a big question. Um, First and foremost, the parents, the responsibility falls on us. I have children now. They are in the school system. I've had a high schooler who was in a class that had a basket with the title of books for people, for colored people as the title of the basket. Um, So parents speak up. Uh, You're not breaking any rules by speaking up. Before I went, uh, before my five-year-old went into kindergarten this year, I made sure that I had a meeting with the principal and I sat down with the principal and I said, listen, I'm going to give you a little anecdote of what happened to me at 11. I was carried away by ambulance. My parents were called. Here's what's going to happen. Same situation. My child, you're going to call me. I'm going to answer the phone. You're going to tell me that my son sent somebody to the hospital. I'm going to then ask you, what did that other child do to my son? And how many times did my child tell them to stop before laying them flat on the ground? And this will be the conversation that you and I are going to have if I get this phone call. Um, If we get a phone call, if you get a phone call from your child saying, listen, I'm in the principal's office because I stood up for myself. Parents, here's a line that I learned from one of my friends. Um, He told his son, and this is basically what I take as my mantra now, you kids take care of the kids, we'll take care of the grownups. At this point, you have to, as parents, be incredibly proactive and involved in the experience your child has in the school system. In terms of the administration, the district, and the ministry, please look out who you vote for. Our minister has no sweet clue what racism is. In a live interview where I asked him what he intends to do about racism, his response to me as a white man was that I understand what your experience was because my parents also immigrated here from England. Further, being that I work with the districts, with the administration, so on and so forth, the same minister had an interview not long ago um, on the radio where he said he is rolling out already programs with all the teachers. They've already done programs. All of these teachers are like, what programs? We'd like to see them because we haven't seen them yet. The next thing is meet with the administration, get involved. If you are an active member of your community of color, of your black community, go in 
and make sure that you have a foot, not just in ensuring that the student body is safe, but also that the entire student body is educated. Um, Kalkin, and I think it was you who said that we only go through white history. Uh, we don't just go through white history. When I was in the French school system from grade two to grade eight, grade 11 and 12, I learned the history of the deportation, French and English colonialism, a little bit of ancient Egypt and a little bit of ancient Greece. So people thought that I still rode camels and worshipped cats. Now, this is a problem because not only are we creating a racist environment and an ignorant environment within our school, we're sending out these students ill-equipped for the global world that we now live in that is highly connected, that is highly digitalized, and our world is no longer the people that we see in front of us. Our students are going to go and work for all sorts of globalized companies and organizations, and to you know, one of my colleagues once told me that in school, in uh, in work one day, they um, they made some sort of a really inappropriate indigenous comment. And, you know, you have to stick up for this because the excuse of I'm trying is not an excuse and it's not an acceptable justification. You need to do better. And I understand we want to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, but administration needs to start listening to the victims a lot more because these children are victims. They're not like Kalkadan's a victim. This is verbal abuse. Savannah's a victim. This is verbal abuse. Hillary, you're a victim. I'm a victim. We're all victims. We're all survivors of what happens to us within the school district. And we all grew up with CPTSD and nobody's giving us a sweet clue, a, a sticker for effort to keep our mental health in check. We're not getting that pass. When we snap, we're just angry women of color. We're not, we're not given a sticker for trying. So this whole well, they're trying pass that we give our administration and our unions, not really a pass. And I understand that a lot of individuals are afraid for the safety of their employment and the well-being of their family. But just like a bunch of students can organize a walkout and create change, I'm pretty sure we just had a walkout over labor and salaries not long ago. So if we really wanted to make a difference, <clears throat> Same <clears throat> beeping and support of our, you know, QP people on strike for better wages. How about QP people go on strike for better work conditions and better safety conditions for our students? Because this is not something that impacts only students of color. Our students have the worst education in the country. They are completely unaware of the rest of the world. And we do not live in La La Land anymore. There is something called the Internet. Um, so get involved, speak up, write letters, show up, make phone calls, make appointments and vote differently, please. <laughs> like really, please vote differently. If you actually care about the quality of education that your children are getting, vote differently. And it starts there when your ministry changes and your districts change and your unions change, then you have a new generation of, of employees or of team members in the administration who want change and to the administration listening like if you see yourself viewing these children's children as adults because this happens quite frequently with children of color specifically and worst of all to black males question whether you are giving this child fair credit 
to their maturity level, to their independence level, to their cognitive ability level. And if you're like, okay, they're seven years old, maybe I shouldn't expect them to brush it under the rug when someone calls them something inappropriate or slaps them or pokes at them, especially where we have something called the hands-off policy. The hands-off policy doesn't seem to apply to children of color because our hair gets touched, our face gets touched, our children get poked and potted. Um, Like, assess what's happening and who you are looking at. And if that person is the age of a victim, then do something about it. And yes, other children bullying and ignorantly saying things are also victims, but they're not the ones paying for their own ignorance. It's the, it's the children of color. That's my, that's my big thing. Speak up, stand up. I love that you touched on the CPTSD thing because we only just discovered in my therapy last week. They're like, maybe you consumed a bunch of alcohol for your need to fit in because you're black. And I was like, wah, wah, wah. who knew? Thank you so much. Um, Sally, I feel like you gave a very, very robust answer. But Savannah, is there anything that you wanted to add to what you think teachers, admin, parents, kids should do to, you know, make sure people are safe when they're trying to just get an education. Um, so just listening, like during this, I had just written a couple different things down. And I think for starters, it, um, you know, it begins with the education program, you know, like to become a teacher. And like, I think that it should be like it should be a, a mandatory course and whether it be black history within Canada and also a mandatory course about indigenous history in Canada. Um, those are all, those are both really important um, histories to be talking about. If you're going to be a teacher where you're not only, you know, you're going to be teaching these students. So I think it's pretty important to know a little bit about what, is going on in their lives or what has happened in their lives. And not even just a little bit, like they should be knowing a lot. And it's like, if I have to know about my history and I have to Google it and answer my own questions, then I think that you should have to know as well as a teacher. And the other thing I had um, written down was outdated textbooks. This bothers me so much social studies and what other, whatever other courses it's the, you know, just the years that the, these textbooks were written. And just thinking about when I was in school, I think we had a page, not even, not even a full page about indigenous history. And I think we had a tiny little square about black history in Canada, and you can't even read half of it because people scribble over it. And, you know, I think that that's a really important part and also not just textbooks, but the, the types of books that we're reading in English class or French class or whatever class it is like, yes, to kill a mockingbird is an important book to read, but it's a little outdated. Like there's more recent books. Why are we not reading true stories? Why are we not, you know, learning about actual people who experience these things or Canadians? Why are we not? having actual people coming into the building to be talking about these things. Um, but yeah, I definitely think for like just teachers and administration and just the education system as a whole, I think it starts with, um, 
with definitely their program at university that they're taking, but also having an education minister who knows what's going on with people of color. I find it very interesting about this education minister. I don't know what his background is in education or if there is one. (laughs) Um, So, you know, I find it very interesting that not only someone can be kind of running all of this without any background, but now you're also dealing with even more, you know, prominent issues and saying that you're going to be implementing stuff is not the solution. Like why are you, you should be going into schools and talking with students and talking to, you know, and I think that's another big thing is it starts with a conversation. When I say a conversation, it means that people of color talk and the white people stop talking. <laughs> so. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, I definitely, I think that even before the, the, the textbooks and tackling all of that, it, it starts with listening and it also begins with getting uncomfortable. And I can't say this enough. I say this all the time. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's when we're uncomfortable that we learn the most and we grow the most and we can actually create change And it's not just dipping your toe and being uncomfortable. You need to sit in the pot and you need to let it fester. You need to to ask yourself the questions of why is this making me uncomfortable? Why am I as a teacher uncomfortable to talk about Black history? But I can talk about England, no problem. Like why, why is that? Or why do I get uncomfortable as a white teacher talking about To Kill a Mockingbird when there's a black student in the class, but then my other class has only white students. And it's, you know, it also comes down to asking yourself the questions. No one else can ask them for you. You have to start asking yourself these difficult questions. And then once those are answered, then it'll kind of be like a domino effect. So that's a great answer. And the other thing I would like to add just about the sitting with your discomfort is that I think that white people think that we're saying sit in your discomfort and and sit in shame and it's your fault. The system screwed us all up. I'm not saying every white person out there is racist, but if you can understand that you're participating in these racist endeavors, maybe they would come to a screeching halt, but you just keep letting the train roll forward instead of putting on the brakes and being like, well, now let me question why we're teaching this in this way for this reason, et cetera. Um, That really great answer. Kakadan, what about you? What do you think? Um, I think my main point is just listening. Um, I can't tell you the number of times when I have, when there has been a report of racism, oh, that didn't actually happen. That's hearsay. Um, I didn't witness it, so it didn't happen. Um, Or when you are correcting a, you know, your, your white, a white peer in your class, like, that's not okay. That's racist. Oh, that's not racist. Like, I think something that um, white people need to understand is that if if a person of color feels, feels um, discriminated by what you have said, then you need to look within 
and maybe not say what you just said. Like no person is going to tell you that was racist if they don't feel it was, right? So <laughs> I think that's a huge thing is, is we need to listen to, to people's experiences um, and, and allow them to speak. And, and so, and, and with that comes like with creating um, safer spaces for them. So just allowing them to be, I, and I, I can't stress this enough. I think every school needs to have a classroom um, or a, a room in the, in the, in the building where you can just be, you know, like as a, as a person of color, school is, was so exhausting. And, um, and I think one, one thing that people don't realize is that you carry that with you at home, you sleep with it, you, um, have to do everyday life with with the the negative comments, the the racism, and so I think just uh, having a safe space where where people can just be who they want to be, and maybe it's just relaxing music playing, or maybe there is a conversation, or maybe there um, you're just you know doing those like calming. Um, coloring book type things. I don't know, but there needs to be a space for for everyone to just uh, feel comfortable and safe. Um, and yeah, I, I think the the education minister. I've I've had a couple conversations with him here and there, and um, he talks about this five year plan. Um, I don't know what that is. No one knows what that is. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see it mapped out, please. Um, but, you know, I'd love to see that the, the, uh, like a person of color representative in his office that's, that's taking care of this so-called five-year plan. Um, and I think uh, the big thing in, in being a, the Minister of Education, I, mean, I know we're in COVID times and things are kind of crazy, but you know, being intentional about going and visiting these schools, you know, there are real issues going on in these schools. We have, there's, there's violence going on. There's racism, there's sexism. Um, people are homophobic. Like these are really real issues that are going on. And I think it's so important for, you know, people who are working in the department of education to be visiting these schools, to be having these face-to-face conversations with these students and finding out what they can do on their level um, to help better support these students. Because in the, at the end of the day, uh, it's not fair that they are, um, that they are being, uh, what's the word, the word loss. I don't remember. But it's not fair that that they are being treated like this and their main focus should be school and just getting their diploma, Um, you know. So I I think it's just so important for people to listen, for for, um, administrators to be listening, to be hearing out their students, to be creating safe spaces for their students. And most importantly, for the people who are working in the Department of Education, um, the director of education, uh, we need, we need you to be intentional in, in, uh, you know, creating supports for these students.
Couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm very happy to be, you know, part of the group that's helping with like the black history curriculum and implementing that. And I hope that that will help. But at the same time, it's in those conversations that I was made aware that there will be teachers who will be very gung ho about implementing this and others who will let it fall to the wayside to the other teachers. Um, and it was also pointed out to me that a lot of the diversity training texts are still behind. They're not even as up to date as the murder of George Floyd, which in the day and age that we live in now, where everything changes every second with every socially political issue, the textbooks need to be coming out. Like you need to be educating the teachers as quick as these situations are happening. And and the education minister having a five-year plan. That's real cute. It's been racist for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Who get five years? You want to, we need now, we need things to change now. And that's why this conversation is important. It's why all of the works that we are individually doing is important. Um, and I would encourage any white person listening, if I can speak on behalf of all four of us, we're tired of answering the questions and we want you to go and Google it on your own, but we will if you'll stop being racist at us. Like, I'll answer your stupid question if you're going to stop being an asshole. So I don't know about the three of you, but Black in the Maritimes is happy to be a resource. We're happy to field your questions if you Google them and you do not find the answers and they're legitimate questions about how to be better allies come talk to us. We are all trying our best to, to move the bar. And we know that you want to help sit in your discomfort and then come help us make New Brunswick the place it deserves to be. And, uh, Dominic Cardi, you're not listening. So whatever, <laughs> we know that you're not listening. If you were, we'd have choice words or I would, I would. I have, um, also a little thing I want to add to that. Um, unknown fact, Apparently, the um, teachers are not really allowed to use resources online that are not pre-approved by the curriculum or the district to present things to students. So even like news articles and things like that, they're not even allowed. I mean, for God's sake, it's almost 2022. Stop. Like, just please take the paper from 1984, at the, 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 the old manual that you have, set the damn thing on fire. I'm sure it'll be great for cooking marshmallows. And let's go and actually get the resources online and read. I think the teachers should be reading and exposing the students to both hateful and proper material, because how are these students going to go out in the real world and identify the difference if they don't know the two exist? Yeah. And that's a bigger thing, too. And on top of that, I mean, we live in a province where we are literally human trafficking immigrants in. And I'm saying human trafficking because there's there's a whole story behind that. We take all of their money, we bring them here, and then they don't even qualify for jobs. And we also abuse their children. And we tell them that, you know, good luck, Merry Christmas, see ya. You know, like it's it's really, this is a province where we are literally shipping in immigrants like, like cattle. And we're still not implementing any form of proper history of Canada including the genocides that have occurred, including the abuses that have occurred, proper history of any other culture other than colonial. And a lot of these people are coming from colonial, like colonized countries is the truth of it too. So it's really important to really stop talking about the glorification of colonialism and colonization and start talking about the reality. I mean, my parents actually survived colonization. So it's, 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 it's time to be realistic about the material that we're choosing to show our students. And I get 
teachers that come to me anonymously all the time and that are like, I am not a, like allowed to use material that is credible, that is online. And the approval process is super long. And even if like, even if I wanted to use it, they're not going to approve it. So Muslim students shouldn't have to talk to other students about Islamophobia. Black students shouldn't have to talk to other students about Black hatred and the genocides and the slaveries that occurred. Um, it's same thing for Indigenous. They should not be forced to relive that trauma. It's it's really the resources there. So yes, I agree with Hillary. We will answer your questions should you ask nicely. Um but also it takes an emotional toll on the people that you are asking because we also have our own baggage. We also have our CPTSD and it is a trigger whether you realize it or not. And we have lives that we don't want to halt just to give you a lesson that your teachers weren't allowed to give you in the first place. So sorry, I wanted to add to that, but yeah. No, add away. I'm all good points about it. I will say that with the Black History curriculum, we are able to choose those resources. And that's really great that we're going to be able to suggest that. But yeah, it was also pointed out to me that it's only because the curriculum is being built and it's not in the middle of a school year. And we want to share something that's happened yesterday and talk about it. No, you have to wait four months. Oh, then it's summer and school's over. So what was the point? Um on that note, I just want to say thank you to the three of you so much for being here and being part of this conversation and like low-key trauma dumping your childhood experiences while also, you know, hopefully shedding light on the fact that this is this is an over for us, an over 20-year-old problem that we've all experienced and it is still happening now and it is still very rampant and big changes need to be made. Um, Sally, if people want to find you on social media, where do they find you? Um, well, it's Sally with one L Moe Davis. If you want to add me to Facebook, um, I have the human voice foundation. We have a Facebook page and we have also, we can fight like cats. If we have two podcasts, um, those two pages, you can come and access me on there. You can also email me directly at T H V N B human voice or T H V F sorry. And B at gmail.com. If you are an email person. Amazing. Savannah, who also now writes for us at Black in the Maritimes once a month so far. We may, we may amp that up in the new year. I have to make a calendar. Um, but Savannah, if people want to find you and your amazing work in your writings, where would they find you? Um, the easiest place would probably be just my normal Facebook page. So Savannah Thomas, you can search me up. And then I also have a writing page on Facebook and I believe it's titled Savannah's Voice. So, yeah, it is. <laughs> and Calcadan, what about you? Um, you can find me on Instagram at Calcadan Burke, K A L K I D A N B U R K E. And then also just on Facebook, just Calcadan Burke. And that's usually where I post most of my activism. Amazing. Now I'm going to try to do Fidel's spiel. Um, like, comment, subscribe. If you liked the podcast, rate the podcast. Find us everywhere at Black in the Maritimes. I'm Cropberry, aka Hillary. Um, just trying to help, trying to help these lovely women make New Brunswick a better place. I really want to thank you guys for your time today. This was a great conversation. Um, and thanks everybody for listening. Bye. Bye.